Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, I'm Joey C. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Sherpa. This is the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me as always is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey Kelly. Hey Joey. What's shaking bacon? We got our gazebo for the did. new patio. We did. It's not up yet, but we have it. Oh, well, who's building it? Are you? We are. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. It's like a fun weekend project. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe a weekend, maybe two. We'll see. <laughs> maybe two weekends. <laughs> you know, I'm not judging how many weeks. I'm just saying it's going to happen it, during the weekend. It'll be up eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Some number of weekends. Hey, Some how's the, number of weekends later, yes. How's the house refit going next door? Is it looking pretty? Uh, they actually, they, they brought in big equipment and they're they're rocking and rolling. They've, they've replaced the soffits and they've ripped off the front porch and they're rebuilding. And then they stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't seen them in like four days. So. <laughs> Uh-oh. Burr, burr, burr. Maybe you get better burr, go back burr, burr. to the feral cats. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Back to the feral cat. We were all excited and then not so much. So, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be it a whole new street is. by the time you get done with it, Kelly. It will. A whole new street. It will. Is. Just in time for us to move. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Can't live in transformation land as long as I do and not have constant change happening. Yes. Well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, we, um, we have a guest with us tonight. We do. Would you like to? <laughs> 
I just did that to mess with you, Joey. <laughs> and you did it well. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. So no, we we have we we are in this steamed company tonight. Um for the for for one, we have a Buddhist on, which is freaking awesome. It's the first time we've done that. Um and for two, she's badass Buddhist. <laughs> so you can steal that moniker, by the way. So <laughs> Her name is Jihung Padma, and she has combined an academic career with her vocation as a spiritual teacher. Uh, She has served as the director of spirituality and education, as well as the Buddhist chaplain at Wellesley College for 14 years. Additionally, she served as a meditation teacher at Harvard University, Boston University, Babson College, Eastland Institute and Omega Institute. So she's in our stomping grounds, Joey. Yes. Right now, but we were we were we were talking about uh about the squares in Somerville <laughs> just before we got on the call here. And and Ji Hung is also the author of The Field of Blessings, uh, which is a turning point. It's the revitalization of healing arts in Western culture. And that's where we get our title of tonight's podcast, which is Reclaim the Power of Ritual Healing and Reconnect with the Roots of Mind-Body Medicine. Sounds fun and exciting, and I'm super excited. Welcome, Ji Young. I know I've been chatting a lot, but welcome. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's absolutely a pleasure and honor to be on the show. It's like, I, I love the name. I love the work that you do. Um, And definitely, there's a lot of places where our paths coincide. I'm excited to talk about them. So tell me about this. Uh, tell me about the ritual healing process that you're talking about in your book. As I went into studying this, it was with the sense that all of these different healing modalities have some core elements at the root that they share. And in fact, we can look at that across cultures, across lineages. But just to make the research a little bit more simple, I focused on um, Mahayana Buddhist healing which, you know, there's like great treasures within that. So when I looked at these many different practices, uh, people who are using acupuncture or soul retrieval within a Buddhist context, or who are doing rituals like the Shod ritual, you know, where one um, actually kind of makes a, a bargain with those forces that we might consider unskillful. And, and in so doing, kind of uh, befriends the demons and turns them into allies. So there's um, some very powerful, deep spiritual work. And I said, what are those elements that are helping facilitate this across all the cultures? And so I found some kind of core ingredients, uh, which included setting intention, uh, finding a place of mindfulness, uh, creating space within, and then through that creating space in the environment and creating space between um, the healer and the healed, you know, to attune. And out of that healing uh, relationship, then all of one's person's relationships can become healing relationships, actually. So reconnecting a person with their circle of relationships and community. And and in this practice also, um, the ritual of evoking sacred power and ultimately um, changing awareness in order for the healing to happen. So those are kind of what I would say meta rituals, that regardless of whether it is a a shod ritual or a soul retrieval, 
Kapoor's Vajra Vidaran, where you um, envision this great um, enlightened being uh, that is helping to cleanse the impurities, or uh, Reiki practice. You know, these are some elements that really seem to be um, valuable across all of the lineages. Well, that was enough for us to like go into like six more episodes, and I I can already tell we have to have you come back. <laughs> I can already tell that you're going to be coming back again. I hope <laughs> so. Let's drop into the one thing that I know that that probably most of our listeners went huh what to, uh, which is the enrolling of the unskilled. Uh, forces, I'm trying to remember the language that you used into the healing process. And so I'm going to ask a, 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 a sort of side question to it. Uh, would that be the equivalent of, say, inviting a pain eater to come and take away the pain? No, it's different. In this case, it's, it's, it's more like inviting the illness, inviting the malady. And kind of like sitting, sitting them down and having uh, tea with them in a very structured way. So, you know, we all have those places in our, in, our, in our world and within ourselves that are unskillful, you know, maybe a little bit awkward or just undeveloped or maybe um, yet trauma-informed. And they, these patterns will come up consistently in our life, you know, where we see, we can all think of that, that friend of ours who has completely broken off that that. Um, codependent relationship, and she's got a whole new person, and he's exactly like the previous, but the color of the, his hair is different. You know, or, or a person who goes from one situation to another, and they come back with this this pattern that you can say, well, doesn't that look like your early life family? Doesn't that look like your relationship with your mother or your father? So we, why would that be? It's because in some way we are carrying that demon with us. So this is actually a place where we get a chance to externalize that, if you will. You know, is it external? Is it internal? You know, in Buddhism, we don't differentiate so much between those, right? Because there's just one whole world. And within that whole world, like Carl Jung said, the psyche and matter are always uh, training places. So we invite, you know, in the Shod ritual, that unskillful force. Um, maybe if for some of us, it might be um, a demon of perfectionism or a demon of self-sabotage or a demon of the abandoned child, right? So then we sit it down like, okay, hello, glad you're here. Um, we're going we're gonna to have conversation now. And this, so first of all, in the Shod Ritual, one offers um, what's called the white feast. So these elements like loving kindness, joy, equanimity, you know, give it some love. But then actually the Shod Ritual goes another step and it's actually offering, um, you know, this deepest part of oneself. And, and actually, uh, Mat, uh, Matsid Labdran is the um, Tibetan saint who originated this practice, who was given to her basically in a vision. And at the same time, it exists within Tibetan Bon, you know, the Tibetan uh, shamanic practice. Now, why, how could that be? Well, I think just in some way, um, these two practices, these two um, lineages have been in conversation for centuries together. And so they were kind of like siblings that grew up in the same room. 
So within the kind of current times, Lama Sutra Malioning, an American woman who's been recognized as an embodiment of, of magic, a reincarnation of magic leptra, has worked this in a way that we as Westerners can kind of get our minds around. So we set up these two chairs. You know, one of them is for us and the other one is for the demon. So we sit there first and ask the demon, what is it that you want? And maybe what the demon wants is something just impossible, right? It's it's like the demon wants to tear things down or it wants, you know, wants everything we have. And so, okay, that's not like really doable, but what do you need? Well, what the demon wants and what it needs are two different things. What it needs, you know, maybe it needs... Um, understanding. Maybe it needs compassion. Maybe it needs beauty. You know, we, we kind of can dialogue back and forth. And, and so we sit in the place of the, the seat of the demon and we answer as the demon, here's what I need. And then the third question in this practice, which he calls Kapala training, that one asks is when you get what you need, how will you feel? So again, answering as the demon, well, I, it will be like this. It will be this kind of great gossamer butterfly wing feeling. And um, it's kind of like the orange black of a monarch butterfly, but with the the nectar of the, you know, purple and pink uh, flowers that grow on Mount Shasta. And so then one envisions oneself exactly uh, taking the form and shape of that nectar. The, the nectar is exactly that orange, black butterfly, gossamer wing, purple and pink flowers like grow on Mount Shasta until we have completely envisioned ourselves transforming into that and giving that to the demon. Now, as we do that, the demon changes. It changes into something. We have to watch and see in our mind's eye, what is it now? And we ask it, you know, how, how will you help me? You know, what is, what is your promise to me? You know, because now that we have made that ultimate offering to the demon, you know, it's got to pay something back. That's a really, I, I love talking to people from other traditions because I'm going, oh, that's what they're doing. And and so we have a different term for that. We call that re-enrollment. We're like, okay, so this is the the part of ourselves that has been, has been, uh, sabotaging us and and pulling us off off mission off course off purpose and and you know we we engage with it and we discuss with it and we we work with it and we heal with it and then we re-enroll it so that its energy is redirected in a healthier way in our lives that's that's the work yeah that's the work and so it's just simply well what is that what qualities of ritual are going to help us to get there and, and make that like a lived reality so in the, in the traditional shed ritual, it's amazing and beautiful and powerful. In the traditional shed, actually one as, as one chance, you know, this beautiful, intricate, um, very evocative, very kind of like a deep primal emotion chant, one would actually be um, working with two different instruments, you know, a hand drum in one hand and um, uh, cymbals in another hand. Or um, also the, the traditional instrument associated with shot is the kangling. The kangling is a trumpet made out of a human thigh bone. And when the kangling is sounded, it is absolutely eerie. And anyone hearing the kangling will know 
that is not an usual sound. And so it's designed to evoke those feelings of fear or uh, difficulty, because in order to change the imprint, we first have to bring them up. So the way, the way to work through fear is, is first um, bringing it into the room. And so the ceremony does that. And then um, it's, it's almost like uh, taking apart uh, fabric, you know, uh, yarn, you know, pulling the yarn apart and then weaving it back together in a new way. It's it's fascinating because um, in in our practice, we would do a ritual as well. We would do um, what we do is as transformational rituals. So we walk people into a new environment and we have them engage with different experiences within a sacred container. And through those experiences, we walk them into that state so that they can bring their insides onto the outside and interact with them. That's the idea. So it's very similar. It's, it's really quite fascinating. I, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> so um, there was something else you said that I'm trying to remember um, uh, that, that banged me in the brain. Joey, did you have a question while I'm trying to remember what it was? <laughs> nope. You dig it up. I'm not going to confuse you. <laughs> You're no you. fun. Okay. You're no help at all. <laughs> it's because I gave you a hard time in the beginning. Yeah, yep. I understand. So. Um, the so if you were to do this practice with a physical ailment how would that look you know certainly in a traditional way shut is used for physical healing but as a practitioner myself i would probably invite first of all questions you know i would invite the person to consider well what's you know what's the impact of this illness what's it preventing you from are there any secondary gain from this illness for you Right. It's like, well, you know, what's what what kind of role is this playing in your life? Where does it live within your body? What's the earliest time that it showed up and what emotions are associated with that? So uh, just a few minutes ago, I was talking to one of my chaplain colleagues who um, is working in palliative care and often feels as if in these situations, his gut is having a big workout. And so then there's the association that's really clear. You know, there's a sort of overactive gut. And there's these experiences of having like excruciatingly difficult conversations with people. You know, so if I was exploring that, I would say, you know, um, let's track those emotions. Where are they living in the body? And are there, is there like a color associated with those? Is there a texture? You know, again, so I'm bringing it out or, or maybe even, again, sitting it aside um, in its own chair and saying, is, does that feeling in the gut that's connected with these difficult conversations have a name that we can give it? Because that's going to have to become a good ally. That's, that's the place where I would go. You know, there are definitely a few different pathways um, that are related to that, one of which is the very traditional um, uh, kind of cleansing practice. Um, it's used for purification. And within this, we would imagine whatever that, you know, kind of pure being is. In, in traditional Tibetan Buddhism, it's called Vajrasattva or Vajravidaran. So you envision that absolutely um, pure being um, that we may consider divine, you know, above us. 
And for a moment, you know, we do our own practice of repentance, you know, calling to mind whatever um, we have done in body, speech, or mind that just wasn't in alignment for us. You know, it's like, where where did we get hooked? Uh, You know, where did we do something that caused harm? Harm to others, harm to ourselves. And so completely um, uh, repenting for that and refocusing uh, through the use of mantra that concentrates the mind, envisioning this bright being which then moved by our um, practice of repentance and our clarity and focus, that light comes through our crown, um, you know, through uh, the face, the neck, the torso, through all of the arms, the legs, to the fingers and toes. And all of those impurities are cleansed out through the pores, um, you know, out through all the openings in the body. It's like bathed and washed in a, a kind of bright, brilliant, diamond-like light. So, th- so that's that's a practice because of the, there's so much research in the kind of um, the sort of psycho-spiritual neurology that tells us about the connection between the way that we hold trauma and emotions in the body and the way that we are kind of. Um, somaticizing into illness there there's yeah there's the, it's even in our word dis-ease right yes, yes yes that when we're in a place of um disconnection um disattention leads to disconnection and then the disconnection leads to um disease you know things get out of sort but through these practices of um, mindfulness and clear awareness we are restoring a connection between the mind, the spirit, the body. And that wholeness leads to a place of connection and ease. So now I know that you, in in your version of Buddhism, which is Mahayana, is that right? Did I say uh, that right? Yeah, right. Okay. Um, that you work with this through the image of Indra's net. Now tell me about Indra. Who is Indra? Sure. So Indra, this is an image we borrow from Hinduism. So Indra was the king of the gods. And so the the, the image is simply a, um, a network which is composed of the entire universe. The horizontal threads of the net are representing time. The vertical threads, space. Where each of those threads is meeting, there's a crystal. And every crystal is reflecting not only every other crystal, but every reflection of every other crystal. So just in that way, we're always coming into being together. We're composed of these reflections of each other. That's a beautiful image. Let's just take a minute and soak in that. I love that. That's beautiful. And so when you were speaking at the beginning, I remember, uh, I don't remember your exact words, but but you said something that, that, really triggered for me what I have found to be true over my 40 some years of practice, which is that everything we do in every aspect of our lives is reflected in every other aspect of our lives. Absolutely. It's like a a holograph. And that every piece of every piece of healing, no matter how small we think it is actually cascades throughout every aspect of our lives. 
That's right. That's why when uh, the individual healing is taking place, it's the, that's also rippling out to the collective. And the collective rituals are also taking place on the level of the individual. And when we heal ourselves, then we're also working on the earth. It's, it's all completely interconnected and completely one. So I've been hearing a lot uh, on the internet recently about people trying to heal their ancestors. And uh, I know I have my own opinions on that. So I'm just curious from your tradition's perspective, how, how does your tradition approach that, if at all? Okay. Well, um, Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh would say, when I look at my palm, the palm of my hand, I see my ancestors. So, you know, they're always as close as that, because where did our hand come from? It came from the ancestors. So uh, right there, um, if we look closely, you know, if we listen, then we can find that. And epigenetically, now we know that the not just the physicality, but the emotions and life experiences of those gone before affect the way that we are experiencing life in the here and now. Um, there is research that um, scientists did with mice, uh, having them experience trauma when exposed to the scent of cherry blossoms, which should be very innocuous for the mice. So then they take the grandchildren of the mice who never knew their grandparents, and they expose those mice to the same fragrance, and those mice then go into a stress response. So the this has also been shown to happen in human beings, that when they look at the experiences of the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, those grandchildren who had had no trauma, uh, they were experiencing PTSD comparable to if they had had. Because again, something is being carried that we don't have conscious awareness of. It's, it's sort of pre-conscious. There are ways that we can rewire this um, through things like meditation, and uh, the other healing work. But I think it's important to, first of all, realize that whether we bid them present or not, they are present within us. And so it is really beneficial, as is done in many Buddhist uh, communities, to make a kind of altar for the ancestors, to lift them up so that we have a place. And by lifting them up, that means we can also differentiate from them. We can honor their sacrifices, you know, their victories and their pains, and then also say to them, please bless me um, as I live in a different way, as I choose a different path. I was just going to say, in that sense, it's, it's not necessarily that we are healing them, but we are healing the pain that we've carried from them in ourselves and honoring them at the same time. Um, certainly, at, at, at a very base level, that is true. And also, um, I tend to believe that when we do our work, we are um, creating change for those generations past, as well as those who are still to come. Yeah, see, in my perspective, uh, it is not our responsibility to heal our ancestors, per se. It is our responsibility to hand back to them those pains that we took on out of love and so that they may be whole again and that they may then heal from their own traumas as whole beings without us having stolen their pains that were theirs for their healing purpose. Because from a shamanic perspective, every trauma has a purpose. Every, every thing we experience creates an opportunity for growth and for change. 
Yes, I hear that. And um, as you and I both know, there are many uh, beautiful shamanic wisdom traditions. Uh, I've worked with some of them. And Family Constellations is based on, I think, that kind of model that you're describing. You know, it's like, I, I leave this burden with you to carry. You're, you're big, I am small. From the point of view of the Dagger tradition of West Africa, um, Maladoma Somme's lineage, there is considered to be great benefit in helping the ancestors through ritual, you know, to sort of step into their place. That too often um, those generations past have not had proper ritual and ceremony to help them um, to be lifted into the place of being wise and healed, that their evolution is still taking place on the other side. And so what we can do through um, a kind of ancestralization, you know, honoring of our connection with them, honoring of their path, but also lifting it up a little bit. We help them to be in good relationship with their journey and and recognizing that even though they have passed, their journey is not a fixed point. You know, so it's a both end. Yeah. Well, and, and I agree with that as well, because as we do our work here, it just like they impact us, we impact them. And so as we process our journey, we we actually are processing some of the trauma that they're doing that they've had because it came to us through them and then we made it our own. And therefore, we had to process our piece of it. And that piece of it is processed back and back through the lineage as well. So, yes, both and 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 I'm. I'm clarifying this because I'm hearing so many people who are new into spirituality doing the traditional codependent thing and saying, oh, I'm going to heal my ancestors. I'm not going to worry about me. I'm going to heal them. They need all the effort. I'm like, "Um, no, you need to be the center of your spiritual journey. And as you do your work, then your ancestors will receive the benefit as you go through the process. But it's not about coming into this process to do it for them, because that's just you doing more self-sacrificing in, in and avoiding your personal work, per se. Do your work. And then if you want to go back and help your ancestors along, too, great. Then you're doing it from a clear place rather than from a place of needing approval. You know, it's into it. No, I mean, it's interesting because for a long time, I think I resisted going to the ancestors. I said to um, my mentor, why would I why would I go there? My ancestors had issues. I'm, I'm not sure they have that much wisdom to impart, you know, like let it let that be. But, you know, through that invitation, you know, to engage with some of these dagger practices, it, it became um I guess I became curious about the ways in which they're actually invested in helping us because, you know, we are that, um, you know, the growth place on the tree, so to speak. You know, we're the ones who are here in the physical world who can make change, you know, where they are. You know, they have a different set of tools. Maybe they can provide, you know, spiritual guidance for us. You know, that maybe that they, they help in the way that the invisible world always does. You know, the other side can. Um, but I began to see it uh, as a continuing conversation and to recognize that even these ancestors that maybe hadn't had it all together when they were alive were still um, worthy and in partnership 
that's that's a, that's just um, the way that it's been showing up for me for now. Yeah, and I can see the wisdom in that as well. You know, there's uh, I had a similar approach to my ancestors when I first started as well. They were like, oh, you need to do that. I'm like, uh, uh-uh. like my ancestors were not very nice people. And how about now? <laughs> there's nothing I want from them. And uh, it, yeah, it took me a long time to to come into relationship. And um, there's pieces there, especially if you come from family trauma and, and where where your relatives were not so great, you know, uh, that they had their own flaws. But you also have to recognize that with every set of flaws are, are a set of gifts, right? Um, so there's balance in everyone. And it's just a matter of finding the balance and finding your way into connection and finding your way out of judgment and to, to be with who is there and to have compassion for them. This has been a fascinating yeah. conversation. I think this conversation I, is going to to in, make our listeners very interested in in reading your book. And where can they go to find information about getting your book and and uh, about things that you're doing? My website mountainpath.org. So uh, mountain m o u n t a i n p a t h dot o r g. Nice. And we will have that in the show notes as well. But for the folks who are driving in their car and they're, they're going to say, you know, hey, Siri, remember this website. There you go. <laughs> you can look that one up later. Just as a reminder, you've got your book out called Field of Blessings, mm-hmm. right? And yes. that's yeah. available on Amazon and anywhere else they can get books, I presume. Any, anywhere books are sold. Okay. Um, and, uh, was there, was there something else you wanted to talk well, about? I'm going to be giving a workshop at Omega Institute in the lovely Hudson River Valley at the end of September based on this work called, uh, the medicine Buddha. And I also do one-on-one work, uh, ritual healing work, uh, and spiritual counseling that can be found at my website, natural wisdom, www.natural-wisdom.org. Well, that's that sounds exciting. I don't know if you guys have been to Omega before, but it is a beautiful retreat center. The last time I was there was 20 years ago to see Carolyn Mace when she was doing um, just as she was writing sacred contracts. So she wasn't even really talking about it yet. She was just sort of ideating about it at the time. And uh, so, you know, you just said that and I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll come. <laughs> I haven't been to Omega in 20 years. So um, there's, there's lots of magic there. That's absolutely. Yeah. So that's exciting. And uh, I am remembering that somewhere right around 20 years ago, I had done an a interview with someone who was in the Dagra tradition uh, when I was doing my Master's of Magic series back then. And I think I still have the recording. So if I do, I will put that in the show notes as well for you guys, since we've referenced the Dagra tradition so dramatically here. Um, uh, and uh, that should provide a little more context to this episode as well. And Chi Hung, we have got to have you back. I feel like we just scratched the surface. <laughs> so we will figure that out when we're done, when we're done uh, with recording tonight. Um, thank you so much for coming. 
And I, I think, so I normally do a little pearl of wisdom at the end of every episode, but I think I'd like to have you do that. So if you could just offer a wrap up for the episode for something for people to think on and chew on as they finish up their, their time with us. Uh, sure. This is a traditional Buddhist um, healing blessing. So just as the rains fall into um, the land, uh, flow together in the streams, and gather together in the ocean, so in this way may every moment of your goodness flow forth to quicken and heal all beings. Uh, those here now, those gone before, those yet to come. By the power of every moment of your goodness, may all danger be averted and all disease be gone. Let no harm come across your way. May you enjoy um, beauty and long life. Thank you. Thank you for that blessing. Well, that is all that we have for this week. But be sure to join us next time as Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I am Joey C. here with Kelly Sparta and Jihang Padma. And you have been listening to Spirit Chirpa. So long, everyone. Bye. Knowing you share with a condition. Each mile I travel over 13,000 miles. Spirit Trippa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under a Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to www.creativecommons.org. Any requests for deviations to this licensing should be sent to kelly at kellysparta.com. To sign up for or get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to www.kellysparta.com. This episode of Spirit Sherpa has been produced by Honu Voice Productions, with post-production by Christopher Wright. Into my home and my love and my life and me. Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing? But you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.